Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. Um, we're going we're gonna to read out of Revelations chapter 13 um, before we get into the message this morning. Revelations 13, verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life, the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would, cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he is a mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, that just makes perfect sense, right? Let's just close in prayer. I still remember 11th grade English with Kimmer Anderson, where I uh, went in as a typical, a cynical 16-year-old boy and uh, forced to study American poetry. And he uh, forced us to read all of the poets that we had, of course, never come across and read and dove into tons of different uh, works. Uh, memorably standing out to me was the works of Walt Whitman. And I still remember this poem that we had to read and study where he says, O me, O life, of the questions of these reoccurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, what good amid these, O me, O life? Answer, that you are here that life exists in identity, that the powerful play goes on, 
and you may contribute a verse. That line has just stood with me for 25 years. The powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. He's, he's saying there, there is more to life, surely, than the values of everything else that people put before me in this world. Surely there is something more worth doing and giving our lives to. And if there is, that means there is something, sort of imprint I can leave on this world. Here's what that poem asks me that I want to ask you. Do you want to get to the point one day where you wake up and realize you've slept walked through life and all the poignant moments that were possible just passed by you like a breeze and you missed them all? And you've become somebody that you never set out to be. And that who you are has not in any way been determined by what you set to be, but it's been shaped by something you had no idea was shaping you. Because whether or not you're actively doing this or not, you're going to leave your life with an imprint. You're going to have contributed verse to your spouse, to your children, to your neighbors, to this church, which one will it be? And this this text asks that and answers it for us this way. There's only two options. They're eerily similar. But thirdly, they are distinct. So let's answer that question this morning. Which verse will you contribute? There's only two options. You look in the bottom of verse 18, it says this, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who understand calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of the man, and his number is 666. Now, that language has led to some of the most wild speculation and confusion in and around the church that scholars have found. Uh, At one point, people were doing this. They were taking uh, the alphabet and lining it up with uh, the number 100. So A was 100, B was 101, C is 102, and so forth. And they found things like if you uh, take all of his letters of his name and add them up, Hitler equals 666. And you have speculation like this, like people going, well, maybe that's what it means. Maybe he's the mark of the beast. Maybe he's the Antichrist. It's none of that craziness. It tells us plainly right here in the text in verse 17, it says, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. See, often in Greek, regularly, a number and a name are interchangeable, interplaying parts of someone's story. So you actually go back to the beginning of Revelation. It says this about Jesus. He is the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, meaning that the letters, the numbers, they indicate not just uh, his identity, but his story, who he is. And even more so, when you begin to study the book of Revelation, you learn this, that the Christian God is triune. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the number constantly associated 
with the triune God through the book of Revelation is the number seven, because in Greek, seven is the number of perfection. It's the number of completeness. So when God is called holy, 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 the number of that name would be 777. So what you have is you have a being who John knows and communes with, whose number and name would have been 777, and what he sees here is a beast who is a counterfeit version of the true God, who is 666. And it's just simply saying this to us. There are two beings influencing this world, the true God and the counterfeit God. And what we're talking about here is worldview formation. That is, the little things in your life are always birthed out of your ultimate allegiance in life. And there's not a cheesecake factory menu of alternatives. There's only two, truth and the counterfeit counterfeit version of truth. See, you and I are covenantal beings. That means we are built in a natural relationship with the Creator, and there's only two relationships with it, authentic faith or counterfeit rebellion. I mean, Woody Allen, he, he said, once said, all people know the same truth. Our lives just consist of how we choose to distort it. So the verses that you will contribute to this world will either be from the worldview of truth or the worldview of counterfeit truth. And and right away in this first point, what this ought to do for all of us is tell us that the idea of religion uh, is impossible for it to be a hobby or just an outlying interest for some. You know what I mean? Like phrases that people use about certain people like, oh, he takes God seriously, or she's really into religion, or she's really passionate about her faith. Look, I know what we mean by those phrases, but I don't think people who use those know what they mean when they say it. Because when we think that and we say that, we're actually assuming this neutrality that's possible in the world. As if who you are and what you think about this world just is an accident. And you just stumbled across this with some sort of new information or accidental neutral uh, observation. But that becomes actually wildly hypocritical when you weigh in on some of the most central and significant things that are happening in this world that determine whether or not you have a massive cultural divide, and people should stand on one way or the other. See, if you hold into anything like that, it's impossible to ever think you started out there neutrally. See, everybody has some sort of relationship with the covenantal creator. It's either light or darkness, and those are the only two options. Which one are you going to be shaped by? because there's only two. But secondly, those two options are eerily similar. Now that premise can be uh, accused of being really naive because we imagine that the two options are like listening to either praise music or ACDC. 
And uh, some of you are like, Alex, come on, life is not that binary. It's not that uh, blatantly distinct. But these two choices of truth and counterfeit truth, of darkness and light, they're actually not as clear as the images sometimes. It's way more subtle. See, the Christian God is Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what you have in this text are three counterfeit beings. Let me show you from the text. If you go back to verse 1, it says, And I saw rising a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on his horns and blasphemous names on his heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. So right away, here's what you have. The dragon is eerily similar to God the Father. In Genesis 1, you have this image of God the Creator uh, coming out of the waters to make a, a world and to create man in his own image. Here, the dragon creates his own image out of the waters. And just like the Creator granting authority to man to steward the world he's created, the dragon in verse 2, grants authority to the beast to not make and steward the creation, but to undo the creation. And then this beast that he, cre he creates and gives authority is an incredible counterfeit version of the second person of the Trinity, Christ himself. We're told about him that he has ten diadems on his head. Those are, uh, would have been um, like ten crowns. Later in Revelation 19, we'll see the same thing said about Jesus. It says there's blasphemous names written on it. Later it says about Jesus that across his sash are the names faithful and true. Uh, and even more so, it tells us that he has a mortal wound that causes people to worship him. This is the exact same word that we looked at in Revelation chapter 5 when it talks about the slain lamb. That everybody in heaven sees and falls down and worships. And it's saying this counterfeit vision, counterfeit version, has a counterfeit death and a counterfeit resurrection that people swear is deliverance and salvation. And then in verse 12, it tells us about the third beast. It says it exercises all authority of the first beast in its presence, and it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast in the mortal wound that was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs, it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast and deceive those who dwell on the earth. This is a counterfeit version of the Holy Spirit. Just like Pentecost, coming like fire down from heaven, performing miracles to deceive people not into the actual truth, but into the counterfeit vision, version of the truth. And what you have here is you have two trinities. You have the true one, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you've got a counterfeit version of all this. And here's what all of this means, is that evil 
is not going to seep into our lives through like this person who we need to watch out for. It's saying that it will come in an incredibly subtle way because darkness, the alternative to following God, will in one way be nothing like him, but in another it will be so much like him that it will take incredible wisdom to distinguish. See, here's what, what this passage is putting before us that you need to wake up to. It's that there is a real way of life and there is a counterfeit way of life that you swear is the real authentic way of life. But it's darkness. Um, some of you may have seen this, but uh, a couple months ago, there was this, this feed that blew up on Instagram called uh, Deep Fake Tom Cruise. I don't know if you saw this, but it, it was hilarious because you know how you have somebody come visit you here in LA and you take them to a restaurant and they're so desperate to see a celebrity and they're like, oh gosh, that's, that's Harrison Ford. And it's actually just some greeter at Walmart, but they really want to believe it deep down. And so that they're telling themselves that it's somebody who it's actually not. So this Instagram feed was like the exact opposite of that. So what, was it, what it was is it was this guy who was just a normal guy, and you would send this, uh, these pictures and these videos to people, and you'd say, this is not Tom Cruise, I promise. And people would, would get it, and it would look so much like him, and his facial expressions were so much like him, and his laugh, and all of his demeanor was just like him, and you, people would go, it has to be him, surely this is him, and you'd go, it's really not, I promise you, this is not Tom Cruise. And, I, and I, I've often wondered about this guy because it's like, man, that guy in one way has life made because he's going to get in every restaurant, every Laker game, every VIP thing he could possibly want. But it's also going to be terrible when he gets dragged to the basement of the Scientology building one day and they're tying him up, yelling at him. And he's like, I'm really not the real Tom Cruise. But, but the, point, the point is... Look, there are lots of people and lots of messages out there today that are pawned off as Christianity because they acknowledge some higher power or they say something that's inspirational to you or they promise you something that sounds like it could be what God would want for your life. And this text says you will be tempted not just to acknowledge it, but to go after it and to be drawn in to worship and follow it. But it's not real truth, it's counterfeit truth. You know, there, there's a place in, in John 12 where, where John is remembering Judas and he says, he who was about to betray him. And Don Carson in his commentary says, you know, it's not that, um, that, that John is just laying it on Judas like he's the worst. He's saying there's nothing that happened in his life that made us think this man was darkness. 
He followed Jesus around. He acknowledged him. He said all of the things, but everything was counterfeit. See, evil, it comes, according to Christianity, it it is so different than other religions and other worldviews out there. It's not yin or yang. It's not just uttered by, what, what evil is in the Bible is it is something that is subpar. It's a sham of the real. It's not the opposite of good. It's the corruption of good. And what it does is it takes commended things and turns them into oppressive, perverse things. It takes things like the church understanding that we are to be salt and light and we are to fight sin. And it leads some to be hateful and oppressive and some of the meanest people in society. It takes things like God being the father of all comforts and leads some to believe that my comfort is my right at the expense of everyone else in the world. And whatever goes on to them, that's probably because they went and sowed those seeds and they're just reaping it. Look, some some of the practices that we have, let me ask you this. And some of the things that you really want in life, do you honestly believe that what you're doing and what you're after and what you commend reflects a humble carpenter who went to a cross and laid his life down? I mean, do you know some of the worst things that have happened in this world started with a desire for something good? They're often born out of an image of what a perfect world would look like. But the counterfeit God is so subtle. It lets evil morph into our life through attractive values in this world like a parasite. And what it does is it renders verses into this world that we swear are life, but they're actually death. Look, will you read God in light of the values and loves of this culture and become a subtle disciple of the beast? Or will you begin to read this world in light of the true God of light? Because scarily, they're very similar. But thirdly, they're actually easily distinguishable. See, the subtle can grow when you notice the identical patterns. I mean, God creates us. Uh, He sends Jesus to make us His, the Holy Spirit uh, to draw us to worship Him and to worship His Son. But in the text, the dragon, he does the same thing. He creates a culture. He sends the first beast to make us his and the second beast to draw us in and worship the first beast. And while it's very subtle, the images and the imagery of Revelation is trying to make a vivid point is that they're actually nothing alike at all. And what makes the loud distinguishing point is this language that's very famous, the mark of the beast. Now, what is this? Again, the, 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 the speculation over culture has been so rampant and, and, and strange. It, it, the mark of the beast, it, it is not the COVID vaccine. 
or your Amazon Alexa observing everything. I mean, again, it, it just tells us plainly in the text. Verse 16, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. He has the mark, that is, the name. So what the mark is, is the name of the beast. And in the ancient Near East, a name is more than just an American name. It's a person's character. It's a person's story. So if you remember, if you go back to uh, Genesis, um, Abraham has a son named Isaac, and Isaac has two children, Jacob and Esau. Jacob's name literally means deceiver, which is his story. He deceives his father. He deceives his brother. And in fact, uh, famously, when the, the author Jer- or the prophet Jeremiah uh, says that the heart is deceitful above all things. The Hebrew says the heart is Jacob above all things because his name tells you everything about who he was and what his story is. So when it says the name of the beast, mark them, it means that the values of the beast, the values of the world are imprinted onto the people so that they mark that person's life and they begin to contribute verses to the world that are of the world. And you may not know it's happening, but everyone around you can begin to see who you really are and where you're from because of the marks of your life. And even though they may not reflect anything that you say out loud and profess, they are your story. See, the mark of the beast, it it is a life revolved in valuing the self above all. So, So here's really the two trinities you have here. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or me, myself, and I. One of those two are gonna shape your story. One is about grace, forgiveness, humility, and sacrifice. The other is about chasing power, comfort, approval, and control. And I I don't get concerned that we're going to start singing songs about doing those things or preaching messages about these things or that you're going to get in conversations with other people and saying, you know what would probably make this world better is if we just chased power and, and we just pursued our comfort at the expense of everybody else or we just live for everybody's approval. Nobody will outwardly say we value those things. But what, here's what happens is that all of us find something in this world that ends up becoming our love. And we love and we pursue this thing more than anything else. And we feel like it's a commendable thing because it's like our children or our job or our reputation. And when those things 
get threatened. I get worried that people will realize I can't have the thing I really want unless I take on the values of this world. And so in order to keep chasing the thing that they really want in life without even knowing, the marks of the beast begin to become their story. So that it's the verses that they're writing totally unaware that this is the poem that is coming out on paper. One of the best images of this I ever saw was from uh, Lauren Weisenberg's novel, The Devil Wears Prada. Uh, Some of you may have seen the movie, but if you haven't, it's about this woman named Andrea, or Andy in the book that she goes by, who just graduated from Brown University, and she's got all of the upper uh, echelon uh, Ivy League values. She cares about uh, making this world a better place. She values relationships above everything else. She's not into uh, the nasty materialism of Manhattan. She is a woman who has figured out her life, but she ends up getting this job at this high-end designer magazine fashion industry uh, place in Manhattan. She goes to work for this woman in Miranda, and immediately she scoffs. She can't stand the way Miranda dresses. She can't stand the way she does her life. She can't stand the way she runs her office. She can't stand the way she treats people, her family, or her lack of friends, or her her co-workers. She's willing to run over and walk away from at any moment. She hates this woman. But after a while of working there, Andy begins to be a little affirmed in the job, and she begins to love the job. And the job begins to not just be something she has, it begins to become part of her life. And then she begins to realize that this job that she loves is not going to work out unless she begins to take on some of the values of Miranda. So it begins with her dressing like Miranda. She changes her plain clothes for she begins to wear high-end designer fashion clothes. Then she begins to work a little longer, work a little harder. She begins to ignore her boyfriend. Her friends become people she has no time for anymore. And then it climaxes with her backstabbing and running over her fellow coworker for a higher job. And she has no idea what's happened, but she's become the very person who she despised and take it all of the values of the person she swore she would never be. Why? Because this other thing she had to have until it became her story and her friends no longer recognized her. See, it is so possible this morning to think you're living for, for God, but the values of this world seep into your life and begin to mark your story so that your story in no way reflects what you think on paper is true. You know what baptism is? Baptism is an alternative mark. It's a new story. It's it's not a mark of your faith. 
Baptism is a mark of who faith points to. Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit in their gracious salvation. And when you get it, when you get that new mark, what marks your life? If you don't know really what it is, I mean, think of it, think of it a little bit like a tattoo, which is not the mark of the beast, by the way. Why do people get tattoos? It's because something significant usually happened to them. Something life-altering, and they want to commemorate it. And they want a sign that marked what happened to them. And then they want the rest of their life to live in light of that mark that happened to them. See, what, when you get baptized, God is marking you out and saying, you are mine. You are my beloved, and you will have a new name. See, Satan and darkness know your name, but they will always call you by your sin. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit know your sin, but they will always call you by your new name, by your new story. The, the Westminster Confession of Faith, a 17th century document, has this great line where it says that we ought to improve our baptism. Meaning that when it happens to you, it's not a one-time event. It's a new story that you and I ought to go live in light of. It's as if God is saying, you are not marked by the values of this world anymore. You are marked by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are marked by our love, by our kindness, by our grace, by our forgiveness, by all the values of our kingdom. Go live in light of that story. Go contribute those verses to this world. And, and you know, here's the gospel. You know, Jesus has already contributed those verses to you. He has already written all of those out in a story on your behalf so that your story can become his story. And you get redefined and you get called that name. And then you go live in light of that story. And that mark on your life begins to be now the verses that you will go contribute to this world. Look, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding go and do it. Let me pray. Our Father, when we get into this spiritual warfare and this darkness, this is heavy stuff. None of us want to wake up thinking we sowed seeds of light and they were really weeds. Lord, help our church, help all of us to become vibrant stories of the gospel. This new name we've been given, this new story, this new mark in baptism for those, Lord, who have never had it, 
I pray that they would come and that would begin to be their story and their mark. And those who have had it, Lord, renew our stories to contribute verses of the kingdom of God into this world. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.